Welcome to episode 84 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we are back. We're back. <laughs> so excited to be I back on. I am so excited. Uh, we decided that we were going to start off with Ohio. Ohio. Yes, I have the true crime. And I have the paranormal and a new baby. And a new baby. Yes, he's joining us for... Some portions of some recording, so if you hear a little baby in the background, that's new to that baby is Finn. baby Finn. He was born on August 26th. We want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I don't know if mom wants to say thank you, but I want to say thank you. I got so many just well wishes and congratulations, and I even got a bunch of little gifts for him from some listeners. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I got this... Ugh, cute little boo onesie and a bunch of cards and gift cards and just thank you. I really, really appreciate it. He's healthy. He's beautiful. And and he's chubby little cheeks. <laughs> chubby, chubby cheeks. <laughs> but he's here, which means I get to partake in the beverages. And I chose the beverage this week because I had the paranormal. What did you make for us? Okay, so the liquor itself in this cocktail is not from Ohio. But <laughs> here we go again. You missed us. You missed us. <laughs> this cocktail is called The Great Pumpkin. Okay. And I found it on the Ohio Liquor website, which is ohlq.com. See? It does have something to do with Ohio. <laughs> what is in this Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown? <laughs> Well, Linus, there's one ounce of apple brandy, one ounce of rye whiskey, a half ounce of maple syrup, which does tie into my story somewhat. Okay. Now, this is optional. You can add an egg into this drink. The yolk too or just the egg white? Yes. Now, this is the optional portion. It says white plus yolk. I did not add it. Okay. It kind of grossed me out a little bit. I mean, I love drinks with... Egg I know. I'm sorry whites. you're not getting the full effect here. But, but the egg yolk, mm, I yeah. don't know about that. So this also has two ounces of pumpkin ale, and then it calls to garnish with nutmeg, but I garnished it with some pumpkin pie spice. Which has a little bit of nutmeg in sure. it. Sure. So sure. go sure, sure, with sure, that. Sure. So you add all of the ingredients into a shaker, swirl the shaker <laughs> to decarbonate the ale, Oh. then dry shake which means to shake your drink without ice, which helps to smoothly combine the ingredients until the ingredients are mixed. Then you add ice to the shaker and shake until well chilled. Strain into a chilled glass. It says a martini glass or coupe. Coupe? What? <laughs> C-O-U-P-E? <laughs> How do you pronounce that? I don't know. <laughs> do you know Finn? And I... Have to admit, I tasted it beforehand. Just just be prepared. Okay, cheers. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Holy Toledo. <laughs> that tastes like straight up whiskey. Holy Ohio. <laughs> cheers, y'all. This is definitely going to be quite the episode in the end, I have a feeling. <laughs> Oh, man. Yes, it tastes 
um, it's one ounce whiskey, one ounce brandy, two ounces of the pumpkin ale, but it definitely, that whiskey has the stronger taste. It's rye whiskey. I wonder if that makes it stronger. I don't know. I don't know anything. I, I mean, as far you as... You don't whis- know anything? <laughs> I don't know anything. Well, it's got a good um, flavor to it, though. I mean, it is no, strong. It and you taste and the maple. And all liquor is going to taste very strong to me right now. But you can't... It really does. You taste the maple. You taste the apple. You taste the whiskey. <laughs> And uh, the whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did we say it had whiskey? (laughs) All right. Well, you're going to need this as I tell you the true crime story of this week. I am going to tell you a very sad story. And this time I have chosen to tell you the story about a child. Oh, of course. So. We had to mix it up at some point, right? Yeah. I saw this on Dateline and I was totally fascinated with it. And so then I thought I'd do just a little bit more research into it. And this is the story of Amy Renee Mahalovic, who was born December 11th, 1978 in Little Rock, Arkansas. And in 1984, Amy, her mother, father, and her older brother, Jason, moved to Bay Village, Ohio. Now, this is a quaint little community outside of Cleveland. Bay Village sits right on the edge of Lake Erie. And looking at pictures, it is really a just a cute little town that's right there at the lake. Well, the name even sounds very quaint and cute. <laughs> yeah, it's not made up. You know how some places go yeah. in Woodsville, but there's no woods around? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is not like that. No. I've never heard of Woodsville with no woods. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I made that up. Anyway, (laughs) Also, looking at information about the town, I found that it is listed as one of the safest areas to live in in the United States. But isn't that where your true crime story is located? Yes. And that was also the case in 1989, which is when this takes place. And the year I was born. But anyway. It's not about you, Beth. (laughs) Isn't it, though? (laughs) So 10-year-old Amy was often seen riding around on her blue bicycle around town, and this is when she wasn't with her beloved dog, Jake. Amy was described as being very bright and friendly, but reserved with strangers. She loved horses and horseback riding, and of course, she loved her dog. The morning of October 27th, 1989, proved to be like every other morning. Amy might have been a little bit more excited to be heading out, but nothing that was super noticeable. So just like every morning, she got on her blue bike at 7.20 a.m. and rode the short distance to her school where she attended the fifth grade. She parked her bike in the bike rack and the school day began. She was in the gifted program, so that day she had her gifted class then attended a school assembly where the students heard a safety talk from a police officer. You know the kind, right? (laughs) Beware of strangers. Don't take candy from a stranger. If a stranger stops and asks you to help, look for their dog or cat. Don't. If a stranger offers you a ride, don't get into the car. In fact, don't even step up to the car. You remember all that, right, Beth? Yes, and so far this whole true crime story has been super just ironic. Safest town, crime. A safety talk, crime. (laughs) 
Amy and her classmates had heard these warnings over and over and over again. And of course, they were not going to do any of them, nor were they going to be tested. I mean, in, this is a safe, quiet little town. So at lunch that day, Amy told her friend that she had a secret. Uh-oh. One that she was really excited about. She had gotten a phone call from a man who said that he knew her mother, Margaret, and that she had just received a promotion at work. The man said that he wanted to buy her mother a gift. And could Amy help him pick one out because he really wanted it to be special? Oh, no. Excitedly, Amy informed her friend that she was going to meet the man after school that day. Oh, no. Amy wasn't even thinking about the safety talk that morning. I mean, the man that called knew her mother, knew where she worked, knew Amy's schedule, as well as her parents' schedule. Mom, this is like, this is scary. Oh, this man may have been a stranger to Amy, but she thought that he was definitely a friend of her parents. I mean, he must be. He knew everything. After school, instead of riding her bike, which she left at the school, she walked to Bay Square Strip Mall with some friends. Now, the mall was only like a fourth a mile from the school. When the group got to the Bay Square, they split up. Amy stayed in, in the middle where she was going to meet the man, and then her friends split, so they were on either side of the strip mall. Okay? okay. Now, the strip mall is not real big. The last time her friends saw Amy... She was indeed talking to a man, and that was the last time anyone saw Amy. Oh. Now, weirdly enough, at 3.30 that afternoon, Margaret, Amy's mother, got a call from Amy, as she always did. Every day at 3.30, Amy checked in that she was home from school. But the truth was, Amy was not at home. So this person knew that she called her mom daily at 3.30. At, at 3.30. How yep. does this person know that? So Amy was with the kidnapper when she called. The Ugh. thing is, she didn't sound scared or worried. She sounded like Amy. At 5.30, Amy's mother came home from work and discovered that Amy had never come home. She started calling Amy's friends. When that didn't amount to anything, she got into her car and started driving around looking for her daughter. At 5.58, Margaret walked into the police station to report Amy missing. Police didn't waste any time starting to look for Amy and questioning potential witnesses right away. Now, what got to me in this, this part of the story is a picture of a lone blue bike at the school's bike rack. Oh. Yeah, you can just imagine. Uh. The police questioned Amy's friends that had walked to the strip mall with her. Now they saw her with a man. Wouldn't they be able to give some kind of a description? They did. Now remember, these are 10-year-olds though, okay? Ugh, yeah, And they've been standing on either side of the mall. So they had a different view. and But... They did turn this into a composite sketch, and the sketch was distributed throughout the community and beyond. Now, the FBI became involved. Amy's little face was pictured in missing person posters everywhere across the community. And I thought this was pretty cool. The, the Pizza Hut in town even placed the poster on every pizza box that went out. I've never heard of a pizza hut or a pizza placing that that's awesome getting involved i know within days the poster now remember this was 
a picture of the man and also the poster of, you know, a picture of Amy and that she was Mm -hmm. missing. Within days, the poster was not only in the city, but also nearby states. There was a $10,000 reward for information. And Margaret and Mark, Mark is Amy's father, got on television pleading to the abductor to let their daughter go. Or at least let her call. Now, this is a quote from the News 5 Cleveland interview where Margaret said, You got my work number. You got my home number. Just call, sweetie. Please just call. Oh, that breaks my heart. Three days into the investigation, the Bay Village Police and the FBI had received more than 100 tips. Looking into each of these, the 24 police and 30 to 50 FBI agents work 16 hours a day, if not more. Throughout the city, white ribbons were tied around trees lining the streets, a reminder to the family that the community was there for them. Halloween came. More parents accompanied their children trick-or-treating than ever before. Oh, I'm sure. Thanksgiving came and went. Amy's birthday, December 11th, came and went. And then Christmas, and still no leads. Then on February 8th, 1990, three months after her disappearance, the news that the family refused to even think about came. At 7 a.m. that morning, a jogger found Amy's body lying face down and barefoot in a field a short distance off of County Road 1181 in Ashland County, 50, that's five zero, fifty 50 miles from Bay Village. Now, this is a very remote area, so mm-hmm. police immediately thought that the killer must have been familiar with the area. It's not like someplace you would see driving down a road. Sure. Amy's death was determined to have been caused by stab wounds to the neck and a blow to her head. Oh, my gosh. She may also have been sexually assaulted. It is suspected that her body was placed in the field shortly after she was abducted. Wow, it had been there that long? Yes, yes. It also seems that the murderer took souvenirs from his victim. So when she left the house that day, she was wearing these cute little ankle-length black boots. Those were missing. Her uh, jean backpack was missing. Her turquoise earrings that were in the shape of a horse's head, those were missing. And those were like her favorite earrings. She wore them all the time. And a black leather folder with the Buick logo and, quote, best in class emblazoned on it. And that was a gift from her father who worked for Buick. All those items were missing. Hmm. What was found was a rather different looking green curtain a few yards down the road from where Amy's body was found. Police believed that this was used to wrap Amy's body. The curtain looked to be handmade, and it is a quilted pattern. I'll post a picture of it on our website. Please, this is what police are begging people to please take a closer look at this curtain. It's definitely different. It's crudely stitched and could easily have been made from a bed cover. What do you mean by crudely stitched? Like um, where the curtain rod goes through? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't professionally. Those so it was little hand hooks. done by like. Yes. Okay. Like like if I were to do it. <laughs> oh, well, that would be interesting. I, 
<laughs> I can't sew with a darn. But that's what it looked like. It, it had been handmade. You know, okay. those things had been. So by now, especially after that last statement, you've probably come to the conclusion, and rightly so, that this case is still an open case. Ugh. There have been many suspects along the way. All have been ruled out. And even some that have claimed to be the killer. I think there was like five guys who've stepped forward at different times and said, oh, I killed Amy. Ugh, why do people do that? that they didn't. So mad. I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking. What's that the joy is, in that? What's what's like? What? Well, I'm thinking that this was this was and is a really big case. It was nationwide, you know, known and they would get their name out there. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Hmm. Notice I said the case is still open. It is not cold. There have been 10,000 leads, 30,000 interviews, and 100,000 man hours put into this case. Oh, my goodness. Before I go on to the updates about this gruesome murder, I wanted to tell you a little bit about where Amy's family members are right now. Because, as we know, a horrible thing like this can tear a family apart, mostly because of the grief. Amy's brother, Jason, graduated from Kent State University and was married in the summer of 2020. His plans, maybe influenced by his sister's abduction, are to help children in rural areas. Amy's parents divorced two years after her disappearance, but remained friends, supporting each other. In 2000, Margaret moved to Las Vegas, where her mother lived. But even there, Margaret could not rid herself of the depression she suffered since her daughter's death. To dull the depression, she drank heavily, which was a really bad combination with the lupus that she suffered from. Oh. In 2001, she was found dead in her apartment. Amy's father, Mark, lives in Grafton, Ohio, and has remarried, but he is still pushing for justice for Amy. He is quoted as saying that day changed his life forever, and at least a couple of times a week, he thinks about Amy, the girl he knew, and her death. When people ask him if he was Amy's father, he answers, no, I am Amy's father. Oh, he believes that the man who killed her is still alive, and he has no doubt that with the advanced DNA work and the special agents who are still on the case, that the man will be caught. The man that abducted and killed Amy is still unknown, but the FBI experts do have a profile of the killer. So interesting how they get that from, from compiled data, mm -hmm. you know. No, it's just so, so interesting. He's a white male. At the time of the crime, he was in his 30s. There's nothing about him that will make him stand out. Average height, average weight, average build. He will not look homeless or dirty, but mm -hmm. also will not look like a professional. You know, like like, like in a suit and tie. Yeah, with exactly. a briefcase. Yeah, briefcase, I, I gotcha. yes. He's not a mainstream citizen. He is in, probably socially marginalized. He doesn't have many friends, if any. He just doesn't mm, fit in. People that have known him may describe him as weird or odd, especially women. But on the other hand, if he wanted to be, he could be very manipulative and charming. I mean, he got this girl into the car. He has not been married and may live alone or even with his parents. Hmm. 
Which that would make sense with the handmade curtain. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The FBI behavioralists believe that something happened to this man in the fall of 1989. What they call a pre-event stressor. This would have driven him to act on his fantasy. Right. The event could have also changed his appearance and his personality afterwards. So he may have started drinking or may have stopped drinking. He may Mm. have started using drugs or stopped using drugs. And as far as his appearance, he could have grown his hair out long or cut it into a crew cut. His weight may have increased or decreased. There would have been changes in his lifestyle. So some kind of like a midlife crisis scenario almost. I I, I don't know. Maybe someone died and that triggered this, you know, mm-hmm. his fantasy. Remember, this, this, these are just theories. Right, okay? right, right. They're not facts. Now, here is some additional thought. The family essentially stands by the conviction that it was no one that they knew. Why, why do they think that, though? Because, because she got in the car. She got in the car. She got and in the she car. Was... And she, the person knew that she called her mom every day at 3.30. Like, that's that's a big tell for me. Oh. Unless she said, hey, I have to call my mom. It's 3.30. Right. Right. And he said, okay, well, just tell her that you're home. But they're just, you know, they're thinking, no, there's no way that anybody that we know would have done something like this. You wouldn't think that. But but here's you the never problem. Know. Yeah. The problem with that is the man had to be familiar with the area. Yeah. He had to know at least some information about the family. I mean, they ca- he called her at home, right? Like, yeah. He knew when Amy was going to be out of school so it's and weird could meet as- him. Now, remember, uh, those were the days the phone book. So calling her at home sure. was not that, you know. But he knew Amy would answer the phone. You know, so he knew when her parents were out. So there was no other cases in the area of something similar? Like... We we will go on with that. I was going to say, because this seems like yeah. something that if somebody got away with it, they would continue. Well, here is here is my little input in this. <laughs> yeah, and everybody, I'm, again, I'm sorry you hear Finn's little input. <laughs> well, I think he could be uh, a resident of the town. He could be maybe a shop owner or in some way work at the grade school. I really don't think this is a person just passing through the town. No. Keep in mind that the man had to also have personal knowledge of County Road 1181. Remember, I said that was a very remote Where area. Where the body was found, right? Yeah. You basically had to know it was there and it was very desolate. Hmm. Now, here's something a little scary. On the Dateline episode... What Happened to Amy is the title of it. It was brought out that two girls that lived in surrounding areas of Bay Village and at the time were the same age as Amy was had also received strange phone calls. Wow, okay. The first said that a man called and said that her mom had received a promotion. He mentioned the place the girl's mother worked as well as the name of her boss. He was not sure what to get her mother for a promotion gift. Could she help? Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. The man sounded very friendly and even excited about getting this gift. Now, while the girl was on the phone, her brother walked into the kitchen or wherever the phone was. And she goes, hey, this is happening. And he, she told she told him everything that was going on. When she got back on, 
the man had just all of a sudden turned personalities. He became very angry and very nasty. And then he just hung up because she had told her brother. Sure. Now, the other one, the now woman, stated that she actually spoke to the man several times (gasps) and always when her parents were gone, like he knew when they were out of the house. Ugh. Ugh. Like, was he... I mean, we didn't have cell phones at that time. So, like, was how did he... Did he stalk these people? I mean, he knew exactly when her parents were out of the house so that he could call. Ugh. So scary. In this case, she ended up telling her older sister about the calls who promptly told her not to speak to this guy again. So my question is, has he tried this again after... Amy. Like in a different town or something. There is no record of any of that. Did he move away and try this in a different location or did he mix or did he mix it up and change his MO? Is he not using the phone call setup anymore is now using another lure? Hmm. Children are lured all the time so how do we know it's not the same guy? In June 2016 because of the advances in DNA analysis Dog hairs that were found on the homemade curtains were identified. And they did belong to Jake, her dog. So so does that mean that they did go to her house? No. Remember the curtain that Amy, that was found a few yards away from Amy? That crude curtain? Had her they dog's hair on had, it. But had dog hair. But did she on. go home after school? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, yes, it does. Because her dog hair would be... On her. Uh, on her. I see so what you're saying. It was okay, proof. I the dog was, was with her. I was like, well, no, well, that doesn't make sense. No, it was proof that Amy had indeed been wrapped up in this curtain. Like right. Okay. Police I had suspected. I gotcha. um, they also had found human hair and it was identified as Amy's hair. So. Okay. No doubt about it. The case has the definite potential to be solved, mostly because authorities are still working on it. But they're asking for help from the public. If you have any information about the murder of Amy Mahalovic, the FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000. Oh, this poor family. For tips leading to the arrest and conviction in her death. Anyone with information about Amy is asked to call investigators, and I will post those numbers to the FBI as well as to the Bay Village Police Department. Now... Just one other little thing. In January 2019, a woman actually came forward and identified her ex-boyfriend as a suspect in Amy's murder. According to a sworn affidavit from a Bay Village detective, the woman told police that this man had lived less than a mile and a half from the shopping center and that he worked in Bay Village at the time and had family living there including a niece that was in the same grade as Amy. Hmm. So I don't know if all that, as obviously police are looking into this guy. As far as I could see, there have been no arrests yet, but he definitely looks very suspicious. Hmm. Oh, that is the very sad story of Amy Mahalovic, and I will hope and pray that they do find this guy. Because we don't know how many other children this guy has hurt. No, that's the thing. Especially if he did end up changing his MO or went somewhere else. Yeah. So, you want to lighten us up? (laughs) 
Moving on. And you'll post those numbers on our website as well as in the description of this episode. Right, Mom? Most definitely. Thank you. Okay, 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 okay. Like I said, if you hear some baby noises, I don't know. Maybe you won't mind. Maybe you will. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I can't put him down. I just can't. (laughs) Oh, he's my baby. He's my last one. I can't put him down. Okay. The haunted location... I will be covering this week is Malabar Farm. Have you ever heard of it? Malibu? Malabar. <laughs> Malabar. Okay. And it's not a candy bar. <laughs> I don't know why I assumed it was a candy bar when I first heard the name Malabar. Because it is not a Beth. candy bar. <laughs> Needless to say, I hadn't heard of it either. And obviously, it's the paranormal portion. So I'm like, ooh, a spooky farm. That's fun. And then I got totally sucked in by the history of this place. It has some really awesome history. This is a very large farm. It's about 600 acres, and it's located near Lucas, Ohio, in Pleasant Valley. Hmm. Okay. The farm itself dates back to 1938, when the original little 12-room farmhouse was purchased and renovated into this huge 30-something room mansion They the owner called the Big House. The land and the farmhouse were purchased by Lewis Bromfield. Do you know who he is? No. I didn't either, and I'm really surprised I didn't because he was kind of a big shot back in the day. So Lewis Bromsfield was born in Mansfield, Ohio as Lewis Brumsfield. Okay. So he was born as Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, Brumsfield with a U, and he later changed it to sound more distinguished, I guess, to Louise L-O-U-I-S, Bromsfield, B-R-O-M-S-F-I-L-F-I-E-L-T. Whoa, big change. Okay. (laughs) Growing up, he worked on his grandfather's farm, and he loved farming. He loved the animals. He loved working the land. He loved all of it. He actually went to college to study agriculture at Cornell University, which is really hard for me to just bypass that without mentioning Andrew Bernard, the nard dog. If you you know, you know. Anyway, so Lewis attends Cornell University and studies agriculture, but he's only there for one semester because his parents were really struggling with money. So he went back to help and work the farm. Eventually, to help with money, he went to Columbia University to study journalism. Again, his time in college was cut short when he volunteered for World War I. He served with the United States Army Ambulance Corps and saw a lot of war. Once he was discharged from the Army, he headed to New York City to work as a journalist. He got married, they had three daughters, and he wrote. Between the war, his work on the farm, and raising his three girls in New York City, he took his personal experiences and his personal relationships and he put them into his work. All of his books were award-winning. Oh, so he didn't only just work for the newspaper, he also wrote books? Yes, he ended up writing novels. And actually his third novel, titled Early Autumn, um, it was about his wife's Puritan uh, New England background. I guess it was pretty harsh, but he won the Pulitzer Prize for this novel in 1927. Wow. A lot of his novels, actually most all of them, featured strong female lead characters. Oh, as a man, he wrote strong female Mm -hmm. Yes. Long story short, he becomes this prize winning author. He moves his family to live in Paris for a while. And he's like 
famous. By now, Hollywood is reaching out to him. He writes movie scripts left and right. Like, Hollywood will buy the script before he's even written it. Oh. Then in the late 1930s, with the threat of war in Paris, he moves his family and goes back to his roots in Ohio, purchasing Malabar Farms. Again, not a candy bar. Is Malamar a candy bar? Is that why I'm thinking that? No, is there, I don't Is there think a Malamar so. candy bar? I think there is. There's a Mars, but I've never heard of Malabar. No, I know it's not Malabar. I think it's Malamar. Anyway, so this place became quite the place to visit. Presidents came to visit. Many of Hollywood elite came. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall got married there in the house at the bottom wow. of the grand sta- staircase. But these Hollywood stars and presidents and visitors, they're, they're not just coming out here because he's some big shot rider. They're driving tractors when they come to visit. They're working the <laughs> land. Lewis named his cows after whichever celebrity was there that day when they were born. <laughs> and it's not just stars that are coming to visit. Most every weekend, Lewis was hosting tons and tons of people and giving speeches on farming. He is so smart. He doesn't have to hire anybody. They just come and pay him to work there. (laughs) (laughs) So the land he bought originally was very overworked. It was very dry, but he turned it into this prosperous farm. I'm not a farmer, obviously, but I guess a lot of farmers really know who he is maybe that name is better known in the farming community than like I like I said I didn't know who he was because he taught soil conservation and he taught new farming techniques he was like a real pioneer in agricultural techniques okay I bet Tom probably knows who he is maybe (laughs) today Malabar Farms is not only a state park with hiking trails camping sites and there's hostels there on the Mm -hmm. land it's still actually a working farm as well Uh, the big house is open for tours with all of Brumfield's original furniture still in it wow cool there are a few other little homes on Malabar's land besides the big house and the farm. There's an old cabin. It's a small log house known as Pug Cabin. It's P-U-G-H. Fun fact, this was where the opening scene of Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Really? Mm-hmm. Remember in the beginning when he's like contemplating killing himself? Yeah. 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 That like cabin and like all the land is Malabar That's Farms. there. Yeah. Very cool. It's also famous for its maple syrup. Ah, there comes the maple syrup. There it is. I guess they hold wagon tours of the farm property, and one of the stops is at the visitor center where they make maple syrup. So, there. see, there's a little tie into the drink there. Just a little one, but hey. (laughs) I'll get back to other properties on the farm because one in particular holds a really haunting history, but let's talk about the hauntings at the big house. Okay. Disembodied voices are heard a lot. Taps from ghost hunters went there and actually captured a few. Staff have felt the presence of who they assume to be Mr. Brumsfield. One even stating on the episode of Ghost Hunters, which was season 9, episode 20, titled Family Plot, that she saw him in a red plaid shirt and tan knee-high riding boots, just standing in the hall, and then he vanished. Mm. The Ghost Hunters episode was actually was really neat, especially because, like I said, the furniture there is all of his original furniture. Right. So 
he has this big office and this huge writing desk that's kind of shaped like it use around the person who's sitting in the desk. Does that make oh, sense? Like it yeah, kind of encircles. Yep, sure them. does. Mm-hmm. And one of his famous p- pictures that I saw like everywhere when I was researching him is him sitting at that desk with it just filled with books and he's writing. And one of his books is titled The Farm and it has, it's kind of, I guess, an autobiography of sorts, but okay. it was really interesting, the history of him and all the farming stuff he did. But anyway, so that's like a famous picture of him sitting at this desk. And so that desk is still there, just covered in books. And it's it's really neat that all of his furniture is just donated still there. there like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So the episode is really neat because, like I said, it's all original. And while they were doing the investigation in that office, one of the doors to the room actually like creaks open. Ooh, it was creepy. I love when that happens. <laughs> and it was totally closed. And you can't see it on camera, but you can hear it. Dang. And so they and I like Ghost Hunters better than Ghost Adventures. Don't come at me, Zach. But I do because they really, really it's not like for show. It's not everything demonic. Right. Like they really I think they go in really believing that everything can be debunked. And so it's yeah, it's an interesting yeah. take on it because they went around opening doors, finding doors. And when they found the door, trying to see if it opens or closes easily or if it was closed beforehand. And it wasn't so dramatized like it was <laughs> legit. Oh, come on. That's why we like ghost <laughs> That's adventures. Why. That's why we enjoy <laughs> drinking and watching ghost adventures. Mom. Drama, drama, <laughs> drama. Oh, okay, so sorry, bringing it down. A more sad story in the big house is that Mr. Bromsfield's oldest daughter, her name was Anne. Apparently she was, she had some kind of a mental illness of some kind. I couldn't find what it was or how disabil- like, disabling how it was. debilitating it was. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't find exactly. But what I did find was that apparently when the Hollywood elite or when he had visitors, when they would come, he would hide her away. Lock her up. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming he would lock her up in her room and, and she would stay in her room and she would paint. And her room is still original furniture and the walls have her paintings on them. Oh. They just, the paintings are, I'm not going to say dark or demonic by any means, but you could just feel the anger in those paintings. Mm. And I'll, I'll try to find pictures and send them to you because so we can post them. Okay. But they're hanging on the walls of her bedroom. No light colors. No, there's a lot of red and and the ghost hunters, they even taps when they walked in there. They said it just felt very heavy. Yes. And they just felt a lot of dread in that room. Mm, mm. I don't know. Again, maybe because they knew the history and they knew that Anne would be locked up. So you have that sadness already on your heart when you're walking into that room. Right. Right. But that was just something that they mentioned. So they were actually the very first professional team to ever investigate there at the big house on Malabar Farms. So Anne has not really been able to communicate with anybody before, like with equipment or anything like that. So they actually sat down and they decided to do the flashlight communication Mm -hmm. with her, Mm -hmm. which um, so you just like loosely you loosen the flashlight so that if it's just gently tapped, it'll turn on gently tapped, it'll turn off. So they did that. They had three flashlights set up and she got so overzealous and excited to talk to them <laughs> oh. like the flashlight started kind of like all blinking and stuff and then they said can you turn them all off and they all went off and then they were like if it's you Anne, can you turn on the one in the middle and the one in the middle turned on 
so cool and they're like oh my thank gosh. you so much could you turn off the one in the middle and turn on the one on the right and one on the middle turned off the one on the right turned on and then they all started just like bouncing on and off and they even made a comment like she really is excited to talk with us oh so <laughs> they're like oh, i've never seen this before can i interrupt you here uh, something that i'm just curious about so did somebody call taps to come to the house or did they yes, just because that's how taps works is somebody comes and I've not watched too many episodes, but from what I gather from episodes I did watch is people that have had hauntings in their location and they want to know exactly what it is. Is it, can you debunk this or, you know, are we, is it safe? Do we need to call somebody to get it out? Kind of okay, a thing. So it's like pink when people call mm-hmm. pink. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this house wasn't known to be haunted. Per no, se. it was just the staff that called them out. Uh, okay. Because they had seen apparitions or they'd heard things and they just kind of wanted to know what it was. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Thank if you. It was really haunted. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> also in this episode, you hear lots of footsteps. The investigators have a lot of feelings in many different rooms. <laughs> um <laughs> The way you said Some that. big I'm feelings. Um, <laughs> doors opening, <laughs> doors opening and closing. But from what I gathered, and this is just my personal opinion, I feel like Mr. Bromsfield's haunting is more residual. Like mm-hmm. just seeing him and then he vanishes, or hearing footsteps and he vanishes. But I feel like Anne is more it's of an intelligent. There. Oh, yeah, because she had such an intelligent response with the flashlight, and she was interacting sure. with them. Uh So that was just my take on it, obviously. I've not been there. I don't know. But that was just kind of my take on it. Well, you still think it's a candy bar. I swear Malamar (laughs) is a candy bar. (laughs) Just like saying that. I'm Googling this. A Malamar. Let's see. Malamar. Candy bar. (laughs) Malamar is a Pokemon. (laughs) <laughs> and I it's know you Pokemon. didn't know that. <laughs> I did not know that. Malamar Bar. <laughs> yes! Yes! It is. Okay, it's like graham cracker on the bottom, then a marshmallow, and it's covered in chocolate. They're Malomars. <laughs> like a marshmallow. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Moving on. Let's talk about two other properties that are there on Malabar Farms. Okay. There are two old homes there. One they said they used as a hostel and the other one I'm assuming they used as a hostel as well or it was privately owned. I couldn't exactly find. But regardless, the one that I couldn't find information on, I think it might be a hostel or something you can rent. It was owned in the 1890s by the Rose family. There was a mother, a father, a son, and their daughter, Celie. They lived there in the late 1890s. I already said that. Uh, again, I'm not sure exactly what Celie's disabilities were. but She had disabilities also? She did. And from what I understand, she was in her early 20s at the time that the incident happened. But she acted and spoke more like she was eight or so. Oh, okay. Okay. So Celie had a huge crush on the boy who lived in the neighboring house on the property. His name was Guy Barry. He was really kind to her. So she would go over there and he would be really sweet with her. And Uh his family was really nice to her. And she had this huge crush on him. 
Well, I think, you know, he might have reached his limit one day or maybe she got a little touchy feely. I have no idea exactly what what happened, happened. but he told her your parents won't let me date you is what he told Celie. And she was crushed. Soon following this, Celie poisoned her family's cottage cheese with rat poisoning. (gasps) Oh. Her father and her brother passed away days later, and her mother didn't actually have too much of the cottage cheese, so she just got kind of sick. Mm -hmm. And she actually, like, stuck up for Celie. I don't know if there was an investigation at this point, but her mom kind of, like, stuck up for Celie, I think, but... Later on, Celie ends up poisoning her mom again, and this time killing her. So this 20-something-year-old woman who was talk, spoke like an 8-year-old had it still in her mind that she could kill her family with rat poison. Right. Isn't that bizarre? She soaked with the rat poison in water and then poured the water over the cottage cheese and mixed Maybe it Maybe to get rid of the granules. Mm-hmm. See, like, I wouldn't even know to do that i don't know i yeah how did she i have no idea but she did (laughs) they actually read the interview that she gave to police on the ghost hunters episode Mm -hmm. okay this is really eerie but the the quote is this is her talking to the policeman and her mother's dead by this time too yes so her whole family is dead and she is being interviewed by the policeman quote I could hardly keep from laughing when mother was vomiting the green stuff. It worked so well. Unquote. <gasps> oh my gosh. Ooh. It's like a horror movie. Soon after her mother died, Celie baked a pie and brought it over to the Barry's house. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't eat anything from that woman. <laughs> she gave it to Guy and told him that he was not to eat it, that it was for his parents. Well, Guy threw the pie in the yard after the girl left. Eventually, the free-range chickens started eating the pie, and then the chickens died. died. The pie had been poisoned, obviously, and it was from this that prosecutors officially tied Celie to the deaths of her family. She ended Uh, up in a mental institution for the rest of her life. Oh, my gosh. Guy, don't eat the pie. (laughs) Today, it is the Rose home as well as the Barry's home that sees a lot of ghostly activity. Uh, yeah. Jeez. The most haunted space would be Celie's bedroom. There is a chair in the corner of the room where an apparition of what people believe to be Celie is seen. She has been seen standing in the window of her bedroom as well. And ghost hunters actually caught a few EVPs in the room. So they left this video camera recording in her bedroom when and they like left the house totally and you hear this girl and it does it sounds like a young girl and you can't make out the words but the tone it's very faint but the tone is like she's almost asking a question she seems very anxious and it's kind of just the tone of it's just like and you can't like understand the words she's saying but it sounds like a little girl and it's very eerie because the whole there's nobody in the house oh I have to just tell you right now, I've got chicken bumps. <laughs> I do. We haven't used that in a long time. This chicken whole bumps. story is just awful. I know. It made my stomach hurt. So you're welcome, y'all. Ugh. Footsteps were heard throughout both houses and doors open and close on their own in both houses. A man who used to live or maybe he was staying at the old Rose house at the time. I couldn't. It said resident when he was being interviewed on Ghost Hunters below his name. It said resident. So 
Again, I don't know if he lived there or if he was staying there, but he was there with his wife and his three-year-old son, and they heard his three-year-old son in the kitchen talking alone to somebody. He was answering yes or no questions. I mean, he was having this full-blown conversation. So they come around the corner and they're like, who are you talking to? And he Mm -hmm. responded, the lady, the lady, the lady was here, you know, in the white dress and she smells like flowers. Oh my gosh. Of course she's in a white dress, but anyway. (laughs) I don't know. Seely should be in a black dress. (laughs) (laughs) The spirit in the Barry house seems to be a bit more hostile. This, and it is a hostile. (laughs) I cracked myself up. I didn't put two two together till just now. Um, I think this is Seely again. I mean, because she went over there and visited with Guy a lot, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that was her love. Why wouldn't she still be there? Why wouldn't she be between the two houses? And why wouldn't right. she be more hostile in the hostel? Because that was her love's house, you know? Like, again, And she was refused. That's my opinion. And she was refused that love, so. Exactly. Uh, that's just my opinion. But people that stay the night there actually will get their feet tickled. <laughs> And I know that's not hostile, but uh, it was also in this episode that I realized how funny the word tickle really is, especially when grown men are using it. And they're like, can you tickle my feet? Do you like to tickle? Don't you remember Zach said that on one of the on one of the episodes? He's like, come on, tickle my feet. It's don't just you, weird. You remember that? I just don't. I, I just never realized how funny the word tickle was. You're so okay. weird. So on the Malabar property is this big barn and there's a stage in there now that I guess they use for events and stuff. But the big barn was built with beams from the Rose family's old barn. So maybe that contributes oh, to hauntings. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm being a Zach here and totally pulling things out my butt. <laughs> it's haunted. And actually every October there was a guy that used to work there on the property and now he wrote a play that depicts the Seely Rose murders and they put it on every October. Hmm. And from what I understand, the play more depicts Seely as the victim. Say the play what? Does. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But without fail, whenever they put on this play, something happens. Actors have been pushed. The lights go out and the sound or the sound won't work. Like things always seem to happen when they're putting on this play. So to end this episode, I found this website, ohioexploration.com, where the Ohio Exploration Society posts their investigations. And it was actually a really cool website that I've put on my like homepage now. So if we ever do Ohio, I have this website because they have like they name the investigation, then they have the equipment they use, they have a little bit of history of the place, and then they have like audio bites of EVPs that they've captured. They have all their photos there and it's very organized and they have so it's like very a categorized. It's okay. awesome. It's very well done. And this This investigation was, I think they went there twice, and this is just their first investigation there. And they teamed up with the Central Ohio Paranormal Society during this investigation. It was back in September 2005. I'll put the link to the entire investigation, but I want to read you some snippets from investigation number 05CMR70074. Okay. It's located in Lucas, southeast of Mansfield, the Malabar Farm. I'll keep thinking Malamars now. Um, let's see. It says, you know, that they were joined. 
This page is dedicated to the first investigation at the farm. It has the list of investigators attending the equipment that they used. And then here is the paranormal slash unusual activity. During the initial tour of the main home, Robinson felt a cat rub against his left leg <laughs> while standing in a back hallway as he spoke to another gentleman. When Robinson looked down expecting to see a cat, nothing was there. <laughs> a few minutes later, Nicholas and the same gentleman Robinson had been speaking to heard the meow of a cat in the <gasps> same hallway. Again, there were no cats present in the home. <laughs> Robinson asked one of the park's employees if the Bromsfields had owned a cat, and the employee confirmed that they had owned several cats. <laughs> <laughs> Copeland and G. Robert smelled a medicinal odor in various rooms of the house, including in the living room. Later in the investigation, Copeland picked up strong feelings in both Mrs. Bromfield's bedroom and their daughter Anne's bedroom. Inside the main house, closet doors that had been closed were found open minutes later, and at least one closet light turned on by itself. Ooh. Several investigators felt an extreme cold spot in the middle of Anne's bedroom at one point during our investigation, but there was not a thermometer set up to record the actual temperature difference. In the back hallway where the earlier cat experiences had occurred at least at least two investigators heard someone coming up the stairs upon investigating the sound no one else was around a total of 15 instances of electronic voice phenomena were recorded during the first malabar farm investigation they captured a possible apparition of a man standing in the doorway of Anne's bedroom in an infrared night shot photo she took during the investigation. The tall figure appeared to be wearing pants and boots. The only two people who were present and as tall as the figure in the photo were wearing shorts and sneakers. So the picture that they took of this person and the figure, mm -hmm. that figure is super similar to the figure that they captured in the Ghost Hunters episode. But they oh. captured an apparition in the berry house okay but it's very similar it's these pictures are crazy but they have so they, they have this list of evp recordings i don't know if i can play it loud enough but they here's the meow and again this is on ohioexploration.com and i will put the link did you hear that Yes. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't just a meow. It's meow. I know. Here, I'll play it again. Oh. And then I want you to hear if you can hear. I want you to hear if you could hear <laughs> this. I, I can hear. It's a dog barking. And I guess I should have given you time to guess what it was. Uh, yeah, because I heard a man. Okay, do that again. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. It's a dog barking. And we've never had a dog barking on any of our mm -mm. episodes. But I kind of expected that for them to hear a dog because Bromsfield had a ton of boxers. Like he oh. had a ton of dogs. Loved them. So... Yeah, there, there's like, wisp, there's a whisper voice stating, I'm dead in the playroom. Mm -hmm. There's like, there's a ton of different EVPs on this website. Again, I'll put the link on there. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Did they pick up any chickens? Chicken squawking? No, the chickens obviously died from the pie and rested in peace. 
<laughs> Why? <laughs> they had a horrible death. Why aren't the chickens coming back? <laughs> no. I don't know. The cats and the dogs probably died very happily. Oh, I don't know why. What, the way you said that, I just the cats and the dogs and the chickens <laughs> and the silver spoon. <laughs> don't eat rat poison or you'll die too. You're so weird. <laughs> oh, I am so low on sleep and drinking alcohol. So, <laughs> what were you expecting? <laughs> Hey, all right, we're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> for better, or for worse, we're back. <laughs> we should say for worse or for better because you said that you had the worst story. <laughs> <laughs> you had the sad story. Oh, it is sad. But you know what makes me happy? It's not closed. True. It's and not cold. They're still working it. And the other good point of this episode is that you will never be haunted by a chicken. <laughs> maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. We didn't hear a dog before either. Oh, we're losing a mom. They're turning us off so quickly. Well, we're back. Thank you guys for being patient with us. Thank you again to our patrons. If you want to be a patron, go ahead and join us. I'll put the yeah, link because in the you missed out here. on some good things. Very interesting interviews. We did. We covered a little bit of the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry, as out it there. was happening, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the link to our Patreon will be in the description of this episode, as well as all the resources used for this episode. And you can always check us out on our. The resources will be on our website. Wow, I am really not present. Whew, it's been a while. I'm a. Uh, Back in the saddle again. <laughs> you still have mommy brain fog. Definitely. Website is killerhangoverpodcast.com. All of our resources and photos from this episode will be there as well as on, on our social media. Facebook, Instagram. And this cocktail go. is really yummy. It is. Kind of potent, you can tell, because you're... What? You're, si you're singing about cats and dogs and chickens and silver spoons. Now I really want a Malamar bar. Malamar. Malamar bar. Mar. All right, Bye. kiddo. I'm losing you. <laughs> oh, cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>